Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to retiring muskie guide, allegedly, I'll say allegedly because he claims he's done. Jason Hammernick, muskie breath guide service is going to come on and we're going to talk about, I don't know, electronics, kind of some of the stuff he's seen over 30 years, his uh, chase for giant Mille Lacs muskies because it's that time of year, Brad. We're already in uh, mid-October. By the time this one comes out, it'll probably be technically into you know, kind of late October almost, you know. But musky season's flying by. It's been um, it's been an incredible season for 2021 as far as sales of musky fishing gear. From what I hear on the water, it's been uh, I don't know, kind of spotty in some places. What would you? What do you think, Brad? It's been. How would you rate this season? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, if you think about it all in all, Jeff, uh, it's been a great season. It really has. But you know what? It's a great season if you put your time in. That's basically musky fishing in a nutshell. I mean, if you think about it, you put your time in and good things happen to you. So I wouldn't complain whatsoever. Um, Is it 10, 15 years ago? No. But uh, at the end of the day, um, it's musky fishing. Yeah, I know I've heard reports that it's been kind of tough, but for me personally, like I haven't had a lot of time on the water, but when I got out, I caught fish. It's been pretty good for me. I would actually say it was better than last year, and I probably have maybe a third of the time on the water that I did last year, so it's been it's been all right, I guess, that way. Usually October, you know, from about now till I don't know, till things freeze up, Brad, we're usually able to sneak out a little bit more often. Hopefully that happens this uh this fall yet we'll see how this goes you know it's been weather the weather's been warm and so i think people are still out chasing fish and you know as per usual we always want to thank everybody for shopping with us it's been unreal and continues to be you know really really good and so you know we owe everybody that you know listens to our podcasts and and shops with us uh you know we owe them a thank you because for without you we're again we're nothing we're nothing without you for the podcast and, and that aspect as well. So uh, we just want to thank everybody for doing that. It's been great. And with that being said, you know, if you're still looking for gear, you know, teamrhinooutdoors.com is the place to go for that. You know, we continue to get more products every week. So if you need more gear and you need rubber or whatever, crankbaits, sucker rigs, uh, you know, your typical fall stuff, even, you know, blades, we've still been selling blades really well because the water temperatures are still warm as we I think we mentioned it in the podcast with Jason, but you know, it's still anything goes kind of a season yet for a little while. And so, you know, we're, we're still full swinging all that. So again, if you need anything there, teamrhinooutdoors.com is your place to go for some gear. If you want to check out, you know, some videos or whatever that we've done, you can find us on YouTube You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well and at TRO Fishing on Twitter. And with that being said, uh, that's all my, you know, 45 seconds of, of fun. Brad, you want to talk a little bit about musky mayhem tackle? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You know, the, the beauty of what you just said there is we are kind of stuck in transition. I mean, if you think about September is always a blades and top water type bite. And uh, we kind of got like a second wind to September all the way through mid mid-October. I mean, <laughs> we we were cooling down, cooling down, cooling down, and bang, all of a sudden Mother Nature has a twist and she starts warming things back up and we have an extended September. So the blade bite and the top water bite is still kind of going, but uh, we're slowly transitioning and I think the fish are truly confused 
they don't know where to go. So you have some out deep, you have some shallow and uh, that's part of the bite. But at the end of the day, you can look us up at muskymayhemtackle.com. You can check us out on Instagram as well as Facebook, just as you do. We have a YouTube channel as well. Check out some of our video footage there. Well, Brad, you got anything you need to BS about this week, or should we just dial up the conversation with Jason? I, I say let's dive in. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Jason's career as well as the uh, the fall Malax bite. All right, let's do it. All right, our guest this evening is Jason Hammernick, Musky Breath Guide Service. If I was a good host, I could tell you what episode he was on, but uh, I can't. It was probably roughly, I don't know, I'm guessing a year ago when we had Jason on. And Jason, unlike the rest of us, is the intelligent one in this conversation. He would have been anyways, but he's more because Jason's decided that uh, allegedly this is the last hurrah for muskies. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, it appears that way. It's just a grind. (laughs) Yep, that's a fact. So I guess this podcast is going to be great. He's going to give out waypoints. He's going to get out every single detail he ever had to catch muskies. Is that correct, Brad? I mean, that's Brad set this one up, so I'm assuming that's where you were going with this, Brad. You were figuring, hey, we can beat him up for all the information ever, right? <laughs> well, I think I beat, I beat him up years ago for all that stuff, so I, I don't know if I need any more of that help. I guarantee you there's a bunch of public out there that would love to have his uh, waypoints, that's for sure. Yeah, I've been approached. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. I, I heard you can sell them. I just, I mean, I've seen it happen before. Yeah, yeah, that that won't happen. <laughs> uh, just in case you decide you do want to come back. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to guide anymore up here, but I'm still going to come fish for for muskies in the summers for a month or two. For some silly reason, my wife really likes really likes musky fishing still. So uh, we'll uh, we'll be up and around. Well, you, you've got so much background here in Minnesota too, Jason. I mean, it isn't like you're going to give away everything that. Um, I mean, it's been your whole past. Um, Florida's been the future, and it's becoming home. But you know, Minnesota is always going to have something in the back of your mind. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, for my kids, too, it's, uh, you know, I've created my my whole life for my family, musky fishing, for 30 years. Do you think, um, you know, we've talked about this in the past, and, you know, that whole saltwater world really seems to just kind of remove people from the freshwater side. Would you agree with that, Jason? I mean, once you start that uh, saltwater world, the whole freshwater thing just kind of comes becomes secondary. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, Ben Olsen opened my eyes to that, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago now, whatever it was, but it's incredible down there. It's, it's so, so much more action. Is it truly just about the action, though, Jason, or is it, you know, the different species? I mean, what really has sucked you into that whole whole realm? Probably relearning everything is like starting over you know the musky thing i've done it for so long there's not a not a whole lot to learn still i mean there's always stuff to learn but the salt water it's it's never ending it just goes on and on and on and on tides moons i mean everything 
just like starting over again, and it's fun for me. There's something about getting into a sport as fishing is, really just kind of putting your time in and investing that time to learn and put the whole program together. So I can understand that. I, I did something really weird this year. I basically depleted all of my waypoints, and I started over again. And it's been really interesting this whole season as I progressed and laying out more waypoints and doing different things that I kind of like what I did 20 years ago. You know what I mean? 25 years ago, whatever it is. Um, I started totally fresh. And I I will say this, it's kind of mind boggling. And I, I guarantee you, if I was to lay the old map underneath the new map, it's probably very similar. But I think a lot of times as anglers, we uh, we get set in our ways, we fish memories, and a lot of times those waypoints become memories, and it sometimes is to a fault. I completely agree with that, and it seems, along with the muskie fishing itself, I mean, the lakes themselves are drastically changing with the, the zebra mussels, the super clear water, the weed lines are way deeper than they ever used to be and it changes every year every year i have to redo waypoints on a weed line that was exactly this perfect last year i'm a hundred feet outside of that and in some cases even more than that this year yeah it's it's so strange i i would agree with that too you know i think the zebra muscle if, if i was gonna say one thing that it did for us i mean water clarity on most of the bodies of water that i fish has always been really clear but it truly has made a difference where it's even cleaner now than it ever was. And with that, like you said, the weed edges go out further. The weird part about that, though, you could say those weed edges are, are out further, but the defined line of like cabbage versus coontail is um, still there. So how you hit that structure, it's, uh, it's about how you relate to some of that old brake lines versus or weed lines versus the new weed lines because the fish don't seem to relate to that coontail as well. Right. I don't know. It's, it's been wild. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm how long ago was it like Malax, Miltona when we ended up seeing some of that, uh, zebra mussel mess that we've kind of put ourselves in. It's been probably 10 years, 12 years, something like that, Jason. At least I, mean, I, was, I was out here today and it's just, it's amazing. If you're the, Touches the bottom for one second on the bottom, and Lake will actually come back with a hook full of zebra mussels. Every cat. Yeah, it's bizarre. I, I see some of that same same stuff here on Miltona and some of the other bodies of water. I, it's pretty ridiculous to think of how fast that they multiplied and uh, what kind of change they made in a short amount of time. That's for sure. So you spent most of your summer basically on leech correct yep i just got to malax uh two days ago i spent the last two days out here getting that's uh been something that you've done for a long period of time jason i always finish my season on malax it's it's my version of going home to the home body of water now swinging for the fences but i mean the fish out here few and far between but they're huge yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that I, I mean, because you've done this so long, you know, the Mille Lacs thing has been like something that everybody wants to go play in, right? I mean, the month of October, the month of November, 
everybody thinks about, hey, I should go to Mille Lacs. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's almost like buying a lottery ticket. Do you win or don't you? You know, and uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, the odds are probably a little bit better than a lottery ticket. But what's your thoughts on that whole process, Jason? Good explanation, a lottery ticket. I mean, it's, I don't know how many muskies are left in this lake, but it's, it's not very many. But uh, we actually, well, we fished the last two days. And we've seen one muskie. And it was, it was a big one. It was probably a 40 pounder. And they were actually pumped to see it. They're like, well, you know, it was huge. It was a big fish. But, uh, you know, over the next 20 days as I'm guiding out here, the sad reality is most, most of my clients won't even see one, let alone catch one. So, how do you prepare yourself for that? I mean, I, I think back to um, a couple different things. I know a few people that have explored new waters they might've went 30 days without seeing a fish. But, I mean, reality is, is that's not easy. And people could say, Oh, I could do it. It's not easy. Um, at the end of the day, you know, just as well as I do, um, you just said it, you might not see another fish for 10, 15 days. How do you deal with that, Jason? I mean, what, what's your mindset in that part? Pretty tough. I mean, luckily I've been here my whole life. So, I mean, I know, what I'm after, and when you get one, it's the the feeling is it's, it's unreal satisfying. But you know, to a client, you know they've all seen the fit, they've all seen the pictures, they heard the stories. That's that's all they want. They just want a shot. They know what you're coming into. I I've never not had a person out here in the last five, ten years, whatever. You know, disappointed because they didn't see one. They they knew what they were getting into. They know they're coming in, probably not going to see one, but they get lucky and they hook that one could be a 50 pounder and that's what everybody wants. Yeah. That's the quest, right? I mean, that's what everybody thinks of being like the there's 50 inch fish, but then there's the 50 pounder. And, uh, I mean, if in the world of muskies, you think about it, there's not many guys that can legitimately say that they've got a 50 pounder. Right. Yeah. This is just like your best shot at, you know, a potential world record. I mean, they're few and far between, but my Lord, are they, they're big, they're fat. So Jason, before we talk about the fall, why don't we talk about what happened this summer? Is, I mean, if, if indeed this is your last season, how did the season go overall? Uh, it was, it was pretty good. We got to leech early August and it was very good for all the way up until this last warm front that happened whatever two weeks ago 10 days ago once that that ends everything i think the fish just got super confused you know they everything was on target the water was getting cold i think we were down to like 57 58 on on leech the fish were leaving the weeds you know everything was perfect and when i left there i think the water was i don't know 63 or something 64 and <laughs> everything went backwards fast. And the same thing you said out here now that I'm on the Mama Lax, it's, it's still way too warm. But there's a cold front coming next week, so I'm happy to see that. Yeah, it's been kind of weird here, you know, for me. That same warm-up that you're talking about, honestly, really, really put a damper on, on the fish biting. But uh, from there, 
I mean, we had this little bit of cold front again that came through this mini little front and two days into it with storms and everything else, it, it pretty much helped us. It turned right back around and got tough again. It warmed up again today and yesterday. So, man, our weather, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy, but weather just plays such a large part. Indeed. Talk about a total, total opposite of last year at this time. And I don't, I, I came in, I came over here about the same time and it was snowing, the extended forecast, there wasn't a day above freezing for, well, until like November 2nd. So I actually made the decision to leave and go back to Florida. I left on October 20th last year. So talk about a total 180. Yeah, that, that's Mother Nature always plays the wrench, right? I mean, she throws a wrench at everything. So, and and still, I, all the years of musky fishing, weather is definitely number one. I mean, that is the biggest equation to catching, in my opinion. Would you agree with that, Jason? Thousand percent. Mother Nature always dictates all. Jeff, what what's been happening up by you guys? I don't know if you've had time to really been out, go out fishing, but. Is uh, is your weather patterns usually you're two to three days behind us? Yeah, we're getting that warm up right now, and it's going to extend into. So today was warmer than yesterday, and it's supposed to be I think that way for the next couple days. And then I honestly haven't even looked ahead of the rest of it. I've just been too busy doing everything else that it hasn't mattered. There's a slight possibility I might try to sneak out for a couple hours tomorrow to go up to Green Bay for a little bit by myself because the wind looks right. I don't have my Tuffy, you know, ready to roll, so I got to play the wind if I go to Green Bay. I got to take my little Lund, and so there's a chance I might get out yet tomorrow, but we'll see. It depends on how things develop over here. But, yeah, I mean, we're dealing with the same kind of stuff that you're pretty much talking about. And water temperatures, I was on the water last, like a week ago today, and they were about 64, 65 when I left. So, you know, like Jason was talking about, I mean, we're crazy different than what we were last year. It's just insane. And from what I understand, it's that way across the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we were in a drought here for practically all summer, as we've talked about on the podcast and whatever. But, you know, now the grass is green. There's mosquitoes finally. I mean, we, did, we didn't have mosquitoes all summer. I mean, think about that. It was so dry. And uh, our water levels are coming back up. I will say there's a bunch of weeds that are dying, but um, there's still some green cabbage out on the bodies of water. The biggest factor, I would say, with these warm-ups, these fish are, like, confused. They don't know where to go. So they're scattered. You know, your typical fall spots that you uh, would normally fish with this little warm-up, they, they truly just, they're everywhere. You know, they're in September spots, they're in October spots, but you really, really got to go out and search for the fish. I mean, because they're just everywhere, and it it makes it mind-boggling, honestly. I, I would rather have, hey, they're on the breaks, let's go fish the breaks, or hey, they're all shallow, let's go fish shallow. But right now, they're just kind of everywhere on the planet, so you really got to work to try to narrow that down and, and find each individual fish. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And that's one of the problems with Mille Lacs is when they're in transition like they are right now, you know, so, uh, most of our cabbage out here is dead. I mean, that we did, actually the fish we spot today was in the weeds, but like Brad said, there's fish everywhere and nowhere right now. And when you're dealing with the numbers of fish you have in Mille Lacs, 
if they're everywhere, man, they're really hard to find. <laughs> Needle and haystack. Everywhere on Mille Lacs is like uh, a whole different level there, Jason. I mean, like 130,000 different level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. you, you compare it to a 5,000 acre lake versus Mille Lacs, um, it really stretches you thin, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we did, we put on the miles today, man. I probably burned a half tank of gas, 35, 40 gallons of gas. I bet I burned today. Just, I looked at everything. I, I mean, I went super deep to see if maybe the toolies were starting to stay just based on calendar and not water temperature. And that was, that was not the case. I couldn't find any bait anywhere on any rock at all. Let me ask you about that. You just said calendar. So calendar versus uh, water temps. What's your opinion on that, Jason? Uh, well, I mean, typically starting now, mid-October, you know, October 20th or so, those those, those two leaves will start staging way off out in the deep stuff, but close, fairly close to the structure. And if you, you know, you just drive out there and now with these fancy electronics and side imaging and live scope, I mean, it's, they, they, they can't hide from you anymore. That's the, that's the thing, but yeah, I, I mean, I was just basing it on what I called fishing the calendar, basically fishing memories, but uh, they were not out there yet. So that leads me to believe they're all the discos and everything are still out in the abyss out by the mud or wherever they are. Yeah, I, I just find it interesting. I mean, um, I've been talking about that a bunch. Calendar versus uh, the water temps. And I think calendar actually wins over the actual water temps. And that, that's why I brought it up. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you think about everything that we do as a muskie angler, we we constantly think, well, what's the water temp? What's the water temp? We think about the moon. We think about this or that. But honestly, there there's definitely some calendar dates that that make a difference. And a lot of times, you know, you catch a giant fish on say October 10th, that giant fish or other fish will also go on October 10th on that same kind of structure. So it's it's always been interesting to me. I'm just curious if you've seen that in your your realm over the 30 years that you guided muskies. Oh, for sure. Especially back when I used to keep detailed logs of everything. And it definitely did help. I mean, the logs and whatnot, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I like you definitely fish calendar more than water temp or any of that. Yeah. I think water temp, is what we want to believe in, but at the end of the day, the calendar makes all the difference in the world. You know, and I will say this, Jason, the coolest thing about being having the opportunities to fish with you, we fish identical and some of it's probably our age, but uh, you know, if you're running the boat or if I'm running the boat, I don't think either of us would feel like we were out of place by any means because that's how we fish together you know, you put all the different things that we've done over the years together and it lays out really, really well. For sure. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely fish exactly alike. <laughs> Which is, it was, man, that was a lot of fun back in the heyday, I think. You think about all of that, it becomes simple when you have that type of relationship where things actually work. I don't know. I, it's very, very strange to see what's taken place over the last 15, 20 years, you know, and I think you would agree with that. But at the end of the day, 
those same patterns that we always worked on, they still hold true today. They do. They do. The electronics thing nowadays is, I, don't, I think it's a bad thing, but I I use it. I mean, I have live scope. I, I love that in the ocean, actually. But uh, well, let's just take, for example, today, I'm, I'm, out, I'm on three miles. There's a big reef in the middle of Mille Lacs, and there was, I think there was 12 bass boats out there smallmouth fishing. Every single one of them had a live scope pole over the edge. And no one, no one's cast anymore just blindly. They're all just steering at the graph. No one casts until they see fish. And then they cast. And they catch it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm not taking it away from any of those guys. Some of them are probably really good. But uh, nowadays, the electronics, it just takes a, what used to be a, weekend warrior, a mediocre fisherman, and now they're really good, because they, they can read electronics. That's interesting that you bring up LiveScope. We really haven't talked a lot about that on the podcast. What would you say about LiveScope? I mean, I, I know tons of people that are using it in the muskie realm. How do you best utilize LiveScope when it comes to muskies? Well, from what I've done, it's, the LiveScope works amazing in open water. I mean, it's you just point your live scope ahead of the boat and basically move it two and a half miles an hour and they can't hide from you. And when you see when you see a mark, I mean you can literally follow it, cast at it. And once you get good at it, you can actually judge it's kinda it's hard to explain, but you can judge how far down the fish is based on the shadow of your lure and when it matches the shadow then you know you're in the right you're in the right depth. And you can actually watch your bait come in, and you'll see the fish tail on it, and it's amazing, actually. Like, oh, here he comes, here he comes. Uh, it's cheating, really. I mean, if you make the wrong cast, you just tell them to recast your client, recast, and pound it down four more seconds, and now they're in the strike zone. So it's, it's amazing, actually, what what they've done. So you you said that you're using in salt water as well. I mean, is that how you're use it, utilizing it there as well? No, it's different there. Like most of the stuff I fish down there for tarpon is ten feet of water or less. If I'm in a big four foot bay, I'll point it ahead, and I can actually tell my client there's one seventy feet at eleven o'clock, and you you adjust the handle on the the light scope so he knows exactly the angle of cast, and it's it's amazing. And a hundred and fifty pound tarpon shows up on live scope, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's way different than looking at a, a muskie. In the shadow, these things cast are they're unmistakable. I got to know. I mean, side imaging, live scope, which avenue is, like, more important to you? Uh, I still rely heavily on side imaging just because I can search way faster, especially for in the tarpon. In the tarpon world, I'm almost all the side imaging when I'm searching for them because I can go so much faster. And even like today, I mean, when I'm in the weeds, I still rely on my side imaging because you can still see the muskies in the weeds on your side image. I like the live scope and all. It is kind of a pain putting the pole over the edge and then you got to take it up and you go to the next spot. It's a lot of work. But if I was only fishing open water, then I would only use live scope. So let me ask you this. What do you consider open water? I mean, 
you're telling me, you know, when you're down doing the tarpon thing, you might be in 10 feet. Um, open water here, I'm going to assume is 30 feet, 50, you know, 20 feet. Where, where are you considering that? Where is the, uh, the actual line where you feel that live scope is more important? Well, that, that can be, <clears throat> I mean, musky fishing, that could be in 15 feet. If your weed line stops in 10 feet and you're, you're in 15 feet of water, you're whatever, half cast, full cast from the break. Or the weed line. I mean, technically, I guess that's open water. Yeah, I, I would not argue that. I, it's just kind of interesting. I mean, if you think about it, open water, in my opinion, is where there's zero structure. And uh, open water can be considered, honestly, anything that uh, those muskies are honing in on as far as uh, bait is, becomes your structure. Or maybe it isn't even bait, but it's. Uh, there's no apparent structure such as weeds, rocks, any of that kind of typical structure that we think of. Yeah, exactly. So, Jason, you talk a lot about electronics and how much it's changed the game. Is it for better or worse? It's good, but bad for, like I said, it takes the the average mediocre fisherman and makes them really good. Whereas back in the old days, you know, a really good fisherman was reliant on their skills, you know, as, as an angler is lining up land monuments and whatever, you know, back in the really old days. Now it's with the chips and everything, it doesn't even matter anymore. You can go to a lake and you've never been on before and look at your chip and go, oh, that's a good spot, obviously. And that's, that's just the way it is now. Yeah, I, w- I won't argue that whatsoever, Jason. I mean, I, I think about all the time, the, the years, the hours, whatever you want to say, of putting in time when the first GPSs came out, you know, you, you would mark out structure based off of depth. And I think that's where it comes back full circle to when I said that me and you fish a lot alike. I mean, we, I would say there's probably no difference between us running a boat. And the reason I, I say that is because we learn before the map cards. And there's a gap when you start looking at anglers' ages there's definitely a gap between our age, 10 years younger than us. They ended up having map cards. That map card kind of changed the way they fished. And then you can look another 10 years. So now you're talking 20 years from our age. They basically started using side imaging as their their modified way of actually fishing structure. It's pretty bizarre. I mean, there's some large, large gaps, and now you have the live side. So you look at live scope or whatever, they're actually targeting the fish versus the, the structure. It's pretty interesting for me to think about, and I, I would love to have a podcast based upon all the different age brackets of anglers and how they were invested or learned how to fish. But I, I, I do think that makes quite a big difference in how you approach different structures and how you actually fish the fish. 100%. It's comical to me. I mean, for me and you, Jason, I mean, we fished Malax and we we did other bodies of water throughout the state, what have you. Um, But if you were to look at some of the bigger names, I mean, if you you picked me and you and then all of a sudden you had a a Greg Thomas or a Luke Ronestrand, they're 10 years behind us. And that map card became so, so important to them. 
where I think we already had that stuff marked out. It was already in our minds or it was on our GPS without the card. Um, uh-huh. And then you can switch gears. And when site imaging became so available, and I think you can really, really, truly get lost as an angler just by the whole technology side of things. And if you can mix that technology with actual past history or experience, the game changes pretty, quite drastically, actually. Yeah, it's 100% a game changer. I mean, you look at, like, walleye tours and all that now, like, I'm at Hoyer's on. I mean, Hoyer's a classic example of, he is the electronic guru. I mean, he he is way into this live scope and active target. I think it's called one more. Now, but I mean, he's the same. He doesn't fish unless he sees a fish, which, man, if I would have done that back in the day, my body would be in a lot better shape. But <laughs> that's another story. But that's just the way the game is now. I mean, it's, all these big time tournaments now, there's it's who can read the electronics the best find the fish, catch them. Sure, I mean there's definitely skill in catching them, but finding them that's that's the name of the game. I would I would not disagree whatsoever, and uh, that finding you know there is one little piece to this whole thing that blows my mind, so. Explain to me why we catch fish when we haven't located them on a graph. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you, you're watching your side imaging. You're watching whatever, live. I don't care what it is. My struggle with live would be this. If it's live, you almost have to be like staring at the screen like it's a video game. I mean, you could miss that live image like, bang, it's over. You know what I mean? It's gone. So then you throw 360 in the equation, you know, Hummingbirds 360. Okay, you have a history there. And I think the history side of things, whether it be side imaging or it be uh, 360, the history side to that actually probably is more important than the live. But then there's guys that could argue the the opposite of that as well. So it's kind of a mind-boggling game, in my opinion. The one part to this whole thing is all of a sudden you catch a fish that you didn't even know was there because your electronics didn't show it was there. How do you explain that, Jason? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, that that happens constantly, but I mean, like if you're fishing in rocks, like out here on the last now with the side imaging thing, if you're in, you're in big boulders and side imaging is useless in my opinion. I mean, those things sit down in those rocks and those crevices or whatever. You can't see them unless they're suspended, which most of the time they're not. They're very close to the bottom. So that image becomes useless in my opinion. So, I mean, there you're just back to casting. And even in the weeds, I mean, you don't, you can't always see them. They have to be sitting perfectly, you know, whether it's sideways so they get a good image or, you know, outside of that weed stock or super dense clump. You, you can't always see them, especially in, like, coontail. They're really hard to see in coontail, but, you know. So, I, yeah, I mean, in my, I, I do the same thing every day, same as you, but I, I, mean, I go fishing. I fish the spots. I don't drive around and look at my video game on my grass until I see one and start casting at it. It's, uh, I don't know, in my opinion, <laughs> that's not even fishing, but 
I, I would agree completely, Jason. I mean, there's some times of the year that I've noticed that, you know, the electronics are going to definitely put you in the game. But at the end of the day, you still have to put time in on the water to actually accomplish the task. I mean, that that's the bottom line. And the better you are at that, the better you're going to be as an angler and the, the more rewards you're going to end up with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even if you find them, if you, if you haven't fished, you haven't cast it out of them, you haven't had any, whatever, if you haven't had any fowls or anything, you don't know what they're eating, and you finally find one because you haven't cast it all day and you're just looking for one, I mean, now what? They want a bucktail? They want a bulldog? They want a trick bait? You know, if you're fishing all day, if you have a sense of what they want, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they're not going on place today. They definitely are moving on the jerk base, you know, all that, all that stuff helps. Well, it's one big puzzle. We've said it for whatever we've done this podcast. I mean, it, it truly is a puzzle and, um, each piece that you can put in your, you know, into the actual puzzle itself, the better off you're going to be. And I think, uh, experience and time on the water always wins over electronics and any other aspect of, uh, the fishing game. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive in a little bit deeper. Let's talk about it. I mean, we're mid, mid-October. You're going to finish your, your season here on Malax. You know, what are you actually targeting, Jason? I mean, what is the key components to, to the uh, fall game, if you will? Well, that's going to be a little different this year because the water's so warm. And looking at the extended forecast, I'm only fishing till November 1st. So... I mean, after next week, things could start showing up. I'm assuming on, you know, on rock structures and whatnot. The weeds are definitely dying fast, so the transition is happening for sure. But I mean, it's okay. It's just you just go out and grind it out, and I mean, I know where they're at, or if they're not there, then I know eventually they're going to be there on that on that spot on the spot. So keep casting. That's the deal. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, how much are you relating to the bait fish? Tulabies are the the preferred bait fish on Lax, but I mean, you could say that across uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, like today, I've fished, I don't know, a handful of reefs, and there is literally zero life. I like some life, you know. You, you always want some bait around. But uh, once it gets super late, like, you know, usually into November, once, you know, everybody gets excited once the Cisco's responding. Uh, and that's actually the time of the year I actually hate the most. You know, you, let's say, whatever, pull up on Hennepin, there's Cisco's are busting the surface in the morning, they're everywhere. There's thousands, tens of thousands of them. I mean, that, now you're literally trying to win the lottery. Well, before that, when they're staging and there's, a handful of them that are ready to do it, but you know the bulk of them are still behind. The that's when the muskies are biting, or you can get them, I should say. Well, it's purely a math equation at that point. I mean, it, the less bait, the bigger the opportunity is with uh, with an unnatural bait that you're throwing. Yeah, I mean, if you're hooking a Cisco, every other cast. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, what is your bait choices today? I mean, I, I know what it's always been years past. What are you actually throwing right now where you feel really, really, truly confident? Uh, I'm still throwing rubber. I mean, today the one we the one we saw was that was on a double dog, Magnum double dog. But uh, we threw a little everything today. Threw blades, rubber, threw a bar fighter for most of the day. Yeah, I mean, I'll mix it up. I mean, once, right now we're in that funny water temperature where anything could still work, technically. You know, it's 56, 57 out here. Once it gets down around that, you know, 52 or 53 or under, then it's, for me, it's, I'm all rubber. Everything else, I just take out of the boat. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Jason. I mean, I think years ago, I, I can think of some of the videos that we put together or whatever. If it wasn't rubber, it could be wood, you know what I mean, as those water temps start to fall. And you might catch on wood for two or three days, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're struggling. And the next thing you know, it was rubber again. It's always interesting to me. I mean, I two days ago, we were out, and I would say that, you know, Everybody seems to be throwing the Medusa right now, but guess what? The Magdog actually shined the best in my boat. Um, we were actually throwing Magdogs, uh, certain color in particular, but it was amazing. That basically shined the whole day. And it's funny because, I mean, here we go. 20 years ago, we were throwing Magdogs, and it's, it's come full circle again. Yeah. It's funny to say that it's, I throw a lot of bag dogs now, a uh, few falls. I mean, I, which is weird because I actually almost feel guilty that I'm throwing a mag dog. Like I know, I mean, I threw a ponder for 20 years. So in my mind, I'm like, you should be throwing a ponder right now. This is what got you in the game, you know? But all uh, mag dogs are, they're tough to beat. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, again, it goes back to something I said earlier in the podcast. I mean, you know, we fish memories, right? And <laughs> I, I don't know, a lot of memories were made on the pounder. I remember the first year that they came out and I was lucky enough to have one in the boat, right? And so that particular bait caught a ton of giant fish. And I'll never forget it when a client of mine, like two or three years in, the, that original first pounder that I ever had, casted it off. And I'm like, no, I seen it flying through the air. And it, that was the end of that bait, you know. Of course, I had more behind it at that point. But the very first one I had was super, super special. Tons of giant 50-inch fish. Yeah, it, it's funny, man. I mean, you think about it, all the different fish that we're fishing today are not the same fish that we we played with 15, 20 years ago. So everything comes full circle again. Yes, it does. But what's funny is like uh, on Leech this year, my <laughs> one of my better baits that I haven't thrown, I don't even know. I can tell you the last time I threw one was a wave wobbler. I mean, Super old school. But they were into it. And then Red Dogs, they, we caught a ton of fish on Red Dogs. I haven't thrown a Red Dog ever, I don't think. And uh, I think I think I had seven over 50 on Leech the time I was there. And I, I want to say, I think six out of the seven came on Red Dogs, which is that's, that's bizarre. 
in my book. It is bizarre, but at the same time, I mean, again, I think we get we get hung up on weird stuff in our brains. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember some years where, I, in particular, I remember a lady client of mine. She was, she always said she was seventy. She was probably in her sixties, but anyway, she she couldn't throw a mag dog. So guess what? We threw a reg dog. So guess what happened? She caught fish on that. And it was not something that I would have probably casted because I like big bait. So, you know, think about that. I, it makes perfect sense, Jason. No, oh, absolutely. I had a buddy of mine that was kind of stuck with me. It was actually last year uh, out here. He's like, you know, they don't always want a meal. Sometimes they just want a candy bar. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, he caught uh, some awfully big fish on just a regular depth grade out here last year. By everybody throwing giant medusas and pounders. And Funny world, man. I, I think, like I said, we all get hung up. Bigger the better. You know, a bait that's been around there forever. You said it, the Wade's Wobbler. I mean, you can't beat that bait. It, it's it's caught a ton of giant fish. So why argue with that? You got to get out there and use some of the history too. Yeah. It's kind of funny you guys talk about reg dogs. Cause back in September I was fishing with Jensen and he says to him, or I said to him, I'm like, Hey, anybody catch any fish on reg dogs lately? He's like, no, I wouldn't even bother throwing them. Well, much like you said there with the uh, story, about the lady that couldn't throw a, a, um, you know, mag or whatever. So a week later, he's got a client that didn't want to throw mags all day. Starts throwing regs. Catches a bunch of fish on regs, continues to throw regs, and he's <laughs> catching fish on them. And I'm like, well, thanks a lot. You made me throw mags for two days when I could have been throwing reg dogs. Not that mags are that bad, but regs are like nothing compared to a mag now. Yeah, for sure. Just, just goes to show you, sometimes you just got to cover all your bases a little bit. You don't always have to torture yourself. And torture yeah. is part of it, that's for sure. I, I think Jason can relate. <laughs> It's kind of funny for me, um, the guiding last month, month and a half, I'm like, man, I just want to throw a small little topwater bait because it's way easy. And that topwater bait actually worked for me. But, uh, yeah, you know, the older you get in the sport, I mean, find a different avenue, I guess is what I would say. And for the most part, your competition that's out there is going to be still working their butt off and uh, throwing big baits. Sometimes it works to just, Downsize and do your thing. Yeah. And some of that, nowadays, I I actually believe that maybe downsizing helps just because everybody's throwing big baits. You know, there's no question there's a hundred times the pressure that there was back in the heyday. And, you know, that's all they look at all day is huge baits. And everybody's throwing, you know, supermodels, pounders, bag dogs. You know, sometimes you just throw something little out there and eat it. Haven't seen that one in a while. I, I would agree, Jason. I think your uh, your analogy with uh, your client basically saying a candy bar versus an actual meal makes perfect sense. Right. Well, Jason, as we get to the end of this podcast, and it's kind of like, you know kind of coincide, I guess, with the uh, end of what is potentially your guiding career. We're not going to write you off at all, but you know, why don't you talk a little bit about your 30 years, you know, as a muskie guide and in the industry, because you know, a lot of people have a hard time lasting a single year or a couple of seasons, 
let alone 30 years? Like, you know, what, what kept you going for 30 years? Well, I just had, uh, I had the bug early. I mean, right away, right out of high school, I knew what I wanted to do. That was not the direction I was pointed in from, uh, my family and my family owned a large carpet business, which I did do that for, I don't know, quite a few years. And then I would guide part-time. I got lucky early in my guide career. I don't remember how old I was. Not very old, but uh, I was guiding a guy by the name of Bill Thomas out of Kentucky on the lack. And he taught a, was a 51 by 29 and a half or something on a pacemaker at 3 o'clock in the morning. And that, that one kind of made my career. It blew up on social media. And I knew just that this is, this is what I was meant to do. Kind of went from there. I still stayed in the carpet business for... I don't know, five more years or something. I mean, I'd guide, I'd guide three, four days a week. I'm gonna, at least that, actually. You know, I'm supposed to be working six days a week for the carpet. But, um, yeah, and eventually it's just like, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just had to be fishing. So that's the way I went. And the PMPT, you know, I fished all those back in the day and had success at that. And, you know, I, I it, it was just a, it was a it's a really good career. My, it's kind of lucky in the beginning with a lot of big fish, and I don't want to say social media made my career, but it kind of did. I mean, social media is huge. Catch big fish, and you put them out there. I mean, everybody sees it. And pretty soon, the word the word traveled, and uh, before you know it, I was booked every day. I mean, it was not un, not uncommon to be fishing a hundred, hundred and twenty days in a row without a day off. And it was insane back in the day. And, doing doubles when I was young. I mean, I'd whatever, sleep what I could, but I was fishing 18 to 20 hours a day. I mean, Brad was there. He was doing the same thing. It was, it was absolutely crazy. But it was fun. And then, I mean, I made a life out of it. My wife's been very understanding. I mean, if you're going to do this as a career, you got to have, you got to have the right wife. <laughs> And uh, I got lucky there. She's a good one. <laughs> yeah, one particular story that I can remember, Jason, that I remember us pulling off of Mille Lacs. You were guiding and I was guiding or whatever we were doing. But 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, sun's up. And uh, we went and we had breakfast together. And I'll never forget it because you ordered pancakes. You ordered, like, I don't even remember, hash browns, bacon, freaking eggs. The whole works, right? And I remember you putting pepper on. And the next thing I know, you're putting pepper on your pancakes. That's how tired we were. We didn't even know what we were doing at that point, but we were fishing. And purely, it was all about fishing. That's all it really, truly mattered. We did it to a fault, man. Yeah, we sure did. I actually do remember that, too. That's hilarious. That was at Twin Pines. <laughs> That's exactly where it was. That's funny you remember that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we gave everything we had. Luke Ronestrand came up to me, I don't know, probably two years ago, and he said, hey, Brad, is there anything you would have did different? You know, if you go back to the time that we were doing it on Malax, is there anything we would have done different? And I looked at him and I said, man, I don't know if we could have did it any different. You know, if you think about it, we gave everything we we truly had. I mean, honestly, we 
we were fishing 20 hours a day, uh, 22 hours a day. You know, it just depended. Uh, I remember calling clients and saying, you know what? The bite is really good. My guys just quit. I know you're supposed to be coming in six, eight hours. Let's go now. You know, and, and just stupidity. I mean, think about what we actually tried to do. Yeah, 100%. But, I mean, that's why we're super successful, though. Because we had uh, no quit in us. And we were pretty good at it. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, we gave it all, you know, and I, I, I don't know. It's, it's been a wild ride, that's for sure, Jason. And, uh, you know, I, I know that you have the passion for muskies. That passion will exist forever. Um, I'm sure we're going to see you here back in Minnesota or wherever it might be. At the end of the day, you've started a whole different world. You know, you're in the saltwater world now, you know, and, and you should probably share a little bit about that. I know I'm going to see you in a boat here in Minnesota at some point. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, the saltwater thing is, it's, uh, it's amazing. The thing I like about it, which was one of the major contributing factors, moving down there, was when I was a musky guide for all those 30 years, whatever, I wasn't at home. <laughs> and I lived in Minnesota, but I wasn't at home. My wife and kids would be at home, and I'd be wherever I'd be. I'd be at Vermillion all over the state. I mean, it wasn't common for me to not see my wife for four months. I mean, I'm booked every day, so it was, you know, pointless. That was one of the biggest contributors once I fell in love with the saltwater is if I moved down there and buy a house. I'm home for dinner every night. Just sleep in my own bed with my own wife. And that was, uh, that was huge. It was a good run. I mean, I think the last year that I lived in Wyoming, I think I only spent like Oh, was it 29 days or something at home out of the entire year? Because at that time, at that time, I was doing both. I was setting up my guide career in Florida. So as soon as the muskie season was done, I I think I was at home for I don't know, 20, 29 days, and then I left Florida and I didn't come back until June. Then muskie season started. So, yeah, that was. Uh, He's getting a little out of control at that point. Now all my kids are grown. I'm the youngest. My daughter's 19. Well, she's in college. And, yeah, me and the wife are kind of yeah, not settling down, but we have to live together now. That's a plus. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And when you said Wyoming, so people don't get confused, that's Wyoming, Minnesota, not the state. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> just to to set that apart yeah i mean it's it's sacrifice right i mean that that's what musky fishing truly is and and the sacrifice is what makes you good and it, i don't know i mean that's what it takes jason and uh i think uh you know thank you for the last 30 years i mean because without you and without some of the people that did what they did we wouldn't be able to kind of realize what really took place. Yeah. No, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do anything differently. I met a lot of amazing people and a lot of great friends. Likewise. I mean, that goes through clients, friends, um, acquaintances in the industry, what have you. But, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, we're one big giant family, if you will, you know, when it comes to musky angling. So, 
it's a cool, cool deal. Um, the ride's been wild and that's, you know, I, it's like a big hooray for you. Um, you're doing what you want to do and you're doing what you love. And I think that's cool. Absolutely. Well, Jason, if somebody wants to take a trip South to experience that, how do they go about doing that with you? Uh, you can do my cell phone, which is six one two two zero nine zero six zero eight, or you can do Facebook Messenger, or I have a website, muskybreath.com. Well, Jason, we want to congratulate you on thirty years in the musky world, and for finally deciding that you were smarter than the rest of us, and you know, heading south and. We want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. We hope that your remaining what, 14 days or whatever on the water is successful and hope that you have a great fall. And like I said, thanks again for, for coming out. We really appreciate it. We want to thank all of our listeners for taking time out of their schedules to listen to our nonsense every week as well. So thank you all for doing that. Thank you, Jason. Have a good day. All right. Thank you, guys.